Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, for being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. For as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that is which is conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you also shall call his name Jesus, and for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him name Emmanuel. Or Emmanuel, sorry. <laughs> which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Last Sunday, we lit the candle of hope, remembering the hope which comes in Christ. Today, we lit the second candle of Advent, the candle of faith. We light the candle of faith, trusting in God's gracious provision for our salvation as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. Like Joseph, who demonstrates humble obedience to the Lord, may we take courage in this season of expectation, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. I love when kids do scripture reading Christmas time. It's one of my favorite things of the Advent season, is seeing them read it. So thank you to them. I'm going to pray for us again. Would you, would you pray for me? Pray for us. Pray for all of us. <laughs> pray together. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be here. We are grateful to be alive. We are grateful that it is the Advent season. Um, and we wait in hope and expectation. This morning, may you let us take a breath in this space with our friends, with our community. And God, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you enlighten us? God, remind us of your love and your care and your compassion this morning. And God, would you remind us of hope this morning um, as we look at this story? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're in week two of this Advent season, um, an Advent series. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, I didn't grow up with the word Advent. I went to a simple church, and we never used the word Advent, never said the word Advent, talked about Christmas, um, but not Advent. So this idea, or this even, this, uh, this thing that actually comes from church history, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, I had no idea it existed. Um, but the longer I'm around this idea of Advent, the more I appreciate it. Um, and I think we can resonate with it. This idea of waiting expectantly. Um, in this season of Advent, we wait. We wait. Um, in this season of Advent, we wait in expectation. We wait in expectation. And in this season of Advent, we hold on to this thing that we call hope. We, we hold on to it. 
We, we get a glimmer of hope and we, we try to hold it and we try to live in it and, and we try to really believe in this thing called hope. And in the context of this original Christmas story, we read about a, a people group, God's chosen people, the Israelites, and they were trying to hold on to hope. And, and they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting year after year, generation after generation, waiting for God to do something. They were, they were waiting to go back to the times like when King David was king, and, and, and they were a great, mighty country. They were waiting to go back to long ago when there weren't soldiers in their midst running their towns. They were hoping to someday be in a place where, where the Roman Empire didn't control their towns and villages and their neighborhoods. They were, they were waiting for these promises from the prophets from long ago, and they were waiting and trying to hope and expect that God really would send a Messiah, that God really would send a new king, that God really would send a savior. And there are some historians that even wonder how many of these Israelites were still believing and hoping in the same way. Or had some of these families started to forget, started to say, is this ever going to happen? The only reality that our family knows is living here with the Roman Empire in charge and these old, old, old stories we tell each other about the time of David and about hope and about the God, that we are God's people. So can you imagine in that time period trying to hold on to this glimmer of hope, but then getting up every morning with your family and walking outside and realizing, oh, yeah, the Roman soldiers are still there, and I'm still a peasant farmer, and we have these old scrolls and these old priests telling us to, that we are God's people, and he's going to send a, a Messiah someday, and there's going to be a new king, but I, I don't see that in my real life. Um, and I think that a lot of us this morning can identify with that, that that idea that, okay, I, I believe that God is real. I believe that God can do anything, right? I believe that God offers salvation. I believe that God can break through and bring miracles. Man, but sometimes I, I wake up and I, I look around our city and I, I look at our country and I look at some of the things my friends are facing or my family is facing and I think, wow, I, I'm trying to hold on to this, this hope. Right? This belief, this expectation that God is there and God is going to do something. And even that God is working now, even though I may not see it. Can you identify with that, at least a little bit, this idea of holding on to this hope? That's partly why I, I more and more love this idea of Advent, of, of waiting for Christmas, but of waiting for Jesus. And now of us today, of waiting for a second coming, believing that God will come again and make all things right, believing that heaven does await us, but holding on to that hope. We're trying to hold on to hope. And as individuals, I'm guessing you have hopes that God would come through in certain ways. For your family, for your job, for your friends, for your future, for where you live. And as a church, we have hopes. Hopes that our, our, our church would be a place where people find hope and healing and salvation. We, we have hopes right now in this process of purchasing a building, and, and we hold on to this hope that God is taking care of it, that, that God is going to provide, and the beautiful things will happen, but we hold on to this hope and this 
expectation. So keeping that in mind, we're going to look at the story of Joseph this morning. And the more I've studied it, the more I really am fascinated and intrigued by this character of Joseph. And as we get into the Christmas story, um, I want to tell you, uh, share a little bit of an analogy. Um, I love Christmas. Does anybody else love Christmas? Like, I, that's all? Like four of us? Like, I, anybody else really appreciate the Christmas season? Okay. I love the Christmas season. Like, I love that this is here. That, I love that that tree is there. Okay. I, I, I dig it. I love singing Christmas songs in church. Um, I love getting the tree, even though we just go to Home Depot every year. We're going to go to the big farm and we go to Home Depot. But I love that the Christmas music on and the family, you know, snuggling in blankets and having hot chocolate and being in the, in the Christmas season. Um, I really love it. Um, we, I used to make my wife a mix CD every Christmas of Christmas songs. And that was like my big thing. And I would scour for whatever songs that weren't on the previous eight albums. And I would make the next Christmas album. And it was like my thing. I loved it. And, uh, and I have... I have two or, three ver- uh, two or three copies of the vinyl Bing Crosby Christmas album. And it's like one of my favorite things. So I-, I kept going to like Rasputin and Amoeba and buying another one so I could leave it at my in-laws and my parents' house. So there's always a Bing Crosby vinyl Christmas album um, around Christmas time for me because I-, I love putting that album on and listening to it. And there's something like this warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Like you're, you're sitting there and there's hot chocolate and the- there's Christmas music in your living room. And we play Christmas uh, movies sometimes, you know, like the old ones, White Christmas and those, It's a Wonderful Life, but also, you know, silly ones like Elf or Christmas with the Cranks in our house. And we, we put it on and my kids all still enjoy it as a family. Um, but I've noticed it's really like the, there's this movie and we're going we're gonna to watch it, but we don't actually watch it. It's just kind of on in the background, you know? It's like Christmas background that makes us all feel good, that it's Christmas season. So the movie runs in the background. And it's kind of warm and fuzzy, and, and we're sitting there. But I realize I don't really, like, care about the storyline, because the storylines are all really cheesy, actually, anyway. And they're, like, you know what's going to happen, and I've seen it 21 times, so like, you know what's going to happen in the end of these Christmas movies. And it, it struck me, I wonder if we can get like that with the actual Christmas story. That, like, it's warm and fuzzy, and we know the songs, and we know the baby Jesus, right? And, and baby Jesus is cute, and cuddly, and it's warm and fuzzy, and there's trees, and we sing Christmas songs, and, and we light Advent candles. Um, but I wonder if, if the actual story becomes like, like a background movie, right? And it's warm and fuzzy, but the actual story, does it actually challenge us anymore? Like, do we actually like, get into that story and let that story challenge us with what's actually happening with these actual human people and what God is doing in the Christmas story? So this morning we talk about Joseph. I'm, I'm hoping that we can look at Joseph maybe with some fresh eyes, and especially look at the humanness of Joseph, a man who had to wrestle with impossible, terrifying circumstances, a man who was probably shamed, a man who doubted, and a man who had to wrestle with what in the world is going on to my life right now. I had it all worked out, and now what is happening to my crazy life that is falling apart? So this morning we're going to start reading in verses 18 to 19 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, to get into the story, I want to just remind us a little bit about the context, which is so different than our context historically. 
Um, in their context, uh, Joseph was probably 18 to 20 years old. So imagine him like community college boy age, okay? Now Mary was most likely around the age of, of 12 to 14, okay? So somewhere around like 7th grader to, to ninth grader, okay? So a young man, like Laney College age, and what we would call a girl. Um, and these are the people that are actually betrothed. I, we were talking in staff meeting and started laughing when I realized that that age gap, 12 to 14, is the age of my oldest daughter, who's 14, she's a freshman, and Albert, Pastor Albert's oldest daughter, Isabella, who I think is 12, right? Is she 12? So I was thinking of, like, that's the age group of Mary, okay? Albert's daughter and my daughter. So think about a girl, think about a very young man, and think about the fact that this was an arranged marriage. So in their culture, these are two families who decided for financial reasons, family reasons, and, and a good pairing of people, most likely, to arrange a marriage and to arrange a betrothal that was a long business process between two families, okay? So it's not like Joseph and Mary met in math class and saw each other and, like, you know, smiled at each other, and then they, like, hung out at lunch with mutual friends, and one day they were at Bay Street, and they held hands for the first time, right, with some friends, and then they went to a movie. It wasn't like that. Like, they didn't slowly fall in love as teenagers and then, you know, court, and then, no, it was their families arranged. This girl, this young man, you are going to get married. They probably didn't, they probably weren't ever totally alone with each other in that culture. If these were devout Jews, they were probably never alone in a real way. So they weren't having long talks about their future and their kids. They, they weren't staring at each other for hours and hours, right? They weren't texting each other. They, these were two people that barely know each other who are now betrothed to each other, and their family is arranging this process with money involved, and they're, and they're going to get married. Now, betrothal also is different than engagement. Betrothal is binding. It's a legally binding thing. So once you are betrothed, you can't just say, peace out, I don't want to marry you anymore. Like some of my friends did when I was younger, they'd get engaged, oh, break it off, like get engaged, break it off, get engaged, break it off. You couldn't do that. You couldn't get betrothed and just say, I'm out. Once you were betrothed, that it, it was a legally binding thing. And if you wanted to get a divorce, it was a divorce. It wasn't like a, I'm out. It was, it was you had to legally go before people and get an actual divorce. So you're stuck with each other now. You barely know each other. And imagine Joseph. Um, he's called, in some traditions, Joseph the Just. Because Matthew makes a point to say that Joseph was a just man. He was a good man. He was a man who followed Torah. He followed God's laws. He followed what he was supposed to do. And the Hebrew word is tzaddik. Tzaddik. And if you look up this idea of just man, it's in the Bible a couple times for Noah. It's in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But he was a just man. He was doing the right things. And now the one he is betrothed to is pregnant. And not from him. He knows it's not from him. No doubt in that. But she is pregnant. Now, Matthew doesn't record how Joseph actually found this out. When you really look through it, it doesn't say, how did Joseph actually find this? So we don't know. Did, did Mary tell him before and then she fled out to be with Elizabeth? Did Mary go to Elizabeth, then start to show, and then come back and tell Joseph? Did the family tell Joseph like, we don't know exactly how this panned out, but in some way or another, Joseph finds out that this girl, Mary, is pregnant with a child. Now, today, in this day and age, 
depending on your family, this could be a big shameful scandal, right? Depending on your family, this could be a big thing. Or depending on your family and how old you are in our society, this could actually not be a big deal if someone is found to be pregnant. But I want to read something from Deuteronomy just so you understand how big a deal this was to their culture and how incredibly scary and terrifying and dangerous this now was to people involved. And I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 22, 13 to 21. I want to preface it with two things. Number one, this is at least PG-13 rated, or maybe more. So if you have kids, I'm just warning you now. This is probably beyond PG-13 rated. Um, I also want to say, um, if you are new to the church or Christianity, um, we're reading from an ancient code, um, an ancient code with different norms that this society still followed. Um, But I want to point out, it will, of course, sound strange, because we're reading something from an ancient society, and we could go explain that in a long time later, but for now... Just know, ancient society had a code that they had been given that they were following. Um, And Joseph's people were still following it to some extent. So Deuteronomy 22, 13 to 21. It says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then hates her and accuses her of misconduct and brings a bad name upon her, saying, I took this woman, and when I came near her, I did not find in her evidence of virginity. Then the father of the young woman and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of her virginity to the elders of the city in the gate. And the father of the young woman shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man to marry, and he hates her. And behold, he has accused her of misconduct, saying, I did not find in your daughter evidence of virginity. And yet this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloak before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take the man and whip him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name upon a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He may not divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, that evidence of virginity was not found in the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done an outrageous thing in Israel by whoring in her father's house." So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So this is not like a little bit of shame here in their midst. This is life and death danger. This is this talking about a whole family, whole village get involved in these kinds of things. And Mary's life from this point onward could have been in real danger. I was studying, and and some historians think that maybe the reason that Mary went with Joseph for the census was the fact to keep her safe, that Joseph didn't want to leave Mary somewhere else, because if people found out that she was with child, who knows what zealous person in their neighborhood might try to do to Mary. So this is no small thing for Joseph to wrestle through, no small thing at all. And the fact that Joseph, even before the angel comes, the fact that Joseph wants to do this quietly and not shame Mary is fascinating. He could have had done a big thing to make to distance himself from her, clearly. And it probably would have been economically in his family's advantage to make a big thing about this in the city streets, to publicly denounce her, to publicly shame her and get her away. But he is a just man And he decides, I I want to protect this girl. I barely know her, but I'm going to protect her. And I might even be bending the law or breaking the law a little bit, but I'm just going to divorce her quietly and make sure that she is okay. 
Undoubtedly, Joseph had family who heard about this in this culture. So imagine what I just read, and imagine Joseph's father or older brothers or uncles or cousins going to him and saying, what's going on, son? No, 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 you need to figure this out right now. This is our family. This is our family's shame or honor. You need to do something to this girl. Like, we have to have a family plan right now and do this right now. Like, let's take care of this and make sure we get every penny back and every penny we can get out of this and let's this woman, this girl over here, pregnant, oh my, like, what, we, what are we going to do? And Joseph says, no, I'm going to, I want to protect her. I'm going to do this quietly. I'm going to make sure she's okay. Even before an angel comes to him, Joseph had courage. Joseph showed mercy. He was a just man. Now let's read verses 20 to 25. But as he considered these things, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Verse 20 says, but as he considered these things. I used to imagine Joseph like sitting in a living room. Oh, I'm considering what to do with this. Now I imagine Joseph in a field, like weeping and crying and saying, God, what do I do? I don't want her to be stoned. I don't know what to do. I want to follow the law. I want to follow Torah. God, what do I do? God, why have you brought this on me? Like, why have you brought the girl I'm betrothed to is pregnant? God, why is this happening? It says, Joseph considered these things. And then an angel appears to him. It says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So don't fear. But go and marry the girl who is pregnant. Okay? Go and do that. Now, that's easier said than done. Last week we saw Zachariah was told something pretty crazy. And Zachariah was like, whoa, hold on. And he immediately got in trouble and couldn't speak for a long time. So it would be totally understandable for for Joseph to say, hold on, angel. Like, can we just clarify? Because she is pregnant, right? And how is she pregnant exactly? Can you explain how the pregnancy happened? And and what am I going to do if I marry her? Like, what am I going to do with my uncles and cousins and my father, like, can you help, like, hold on. And what does Joseph do? Okay, I go and marry her. Doesn't say anything else. Joseph was told to do something in a dream. And Matthew doesn't record, did Joseph go and throw up and start shaking? I'm serious, like, did did, did he go and weep and, and have anxiety? Or we don't know if the Spirit gave him a special piece about this instantly. And God's Spirit just gave him a piece about it. We don't know if he was shaking and crying out behind a tree as this whole process was going on. But what he faced was a pretty serious thing. And he took Mary as his wife. And he took care of her. And he did what God told him to do. And from it, Joseph is now an honored person. Now, we're talking about him 2,000 years later, talking about Joseph and his central role in the Christmas story. He gets to name Jesus. An earthly father would have the honor, the privilege of naming a son more than the mother. So Joseph gets to name Jesus. 
Joseph gets to be the earthly father of the Savior, the Messiah. He gets to protect God. He gets to go down in history because he just simply obeyed. It, it was wild and it was nerve-wracking and it would have taken a lot of courage, but he simply obeyed and took Mary as his wife. Now, I want to read two other passages. The only, only other part of the Bible that mentions Joseph is just a little while later in Matthew, just after the Christmas story. But I'm struck by how similar these, this story is to the first story about Joseph. So I'm going to read Matthew 2, 13 um, to 23, if you want to follow along. So baby Jesus is no longer baby Jesus, probably bigger baby Jesus or little toddler Jesus, somewhere in there. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Sound familiar? And said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. I'm going to continue. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord, sound familiar? An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The story is like a broken record. Joseph has a dream. He is told to do something that is terrifying and that is a big deal. And what happens? He does it. Angel tells him, marry that pregnant girl. Okay, marry the pregnant girl. Angel tells him, get up in the middle of the night, start walking to Egypt. Okay, I get up in the middle of the night, I get my family, we start walking to Egypt. Whatever God tells Joseph, whatever the angel tells Joseph, he just says, okay, I'm do it. I'm in. Right, so I want you to imagine Joseph now, just a barely bit older, still a very young man, and, God, and the angel saying, okay, get up in the middle of the night and start walking all the way to Egypt. Um, a journey to Egypt was probably around 150 miles um, and could have taken about a week on foot. Okay? And he's leaving everything he knows. He's leaving any, any people he knows in the neighborhood, right? his country, his place he knows, and, and he's told, go. It, but, uh, Jesus is in danger. Start walking in the middle of the night. And walking in the night was dangerous. You didn't walk in the night in that time period. Unless you had a, a, a caravan or an army with you, you, or security, you didn't just walk in the middle of the night. So he gets his family and he starts walking mile after mile after mile to protect his family. To, pr to protect the family that God has given him. 
And I can't help but think when I, when I think about Joseph walking, fleeing to another place, I think of refugees all over the world today. All over the world today, there are people that actually have to face this. I can't relate to this, but people all over this world, from that time until now, there are people who, for the safety of their children, get up in the middle of the night and they leave their violent town or they leave their war-torn country and they start walking and they walk and they walk and they walk. And I imagine it must take an incredible amount of courage to get up in the middle of the night and start walking to a faraway country because you're trying to protect your family. This is embedded in our story. And Joseph, this courageous person, does what God tells him to, and he protects his family. So this morning, as we come to a close, you know, the one thing that Joseph had that we might envy is the clarity of a dream of an angel. Would anybody like that sometimes? I, sometimes I would, if the angel could just tell me in a dream exactly what to do, that would be really great. So Joseph did have that going for him. But what the things Joseph did were terrifying. The things Joseph did were, were gut-wrenching. The things Joseph did were hard. But he got up and he, he did them. He just got up and he, and he, did, he did the thing. So I want to ask us now to just reflect on Oftentimes we don't have a dream from an angel, but I am guessing if I had a long, honest conversation with people in this room, that there's something God's been tapping you on the shoulder about, that there's a door open for you to love someone, a door open for you to seek reconciliation, a door open for you to serve someone, a door open for you to see something in our midst, in our city, in our world that you know you could reach into, that you know God might be calling you into, but it's scary. It might be a life change or a, a, a change in occupation. I don't know what it is. But God invites us into things to be a part of God's story. God invites us in ways that fit us, and God invites us to take leaps of faith. And so I ask you today, where do you need courage? Where do you need courage to follow God and what he's calling you to do? And where is fear stopping you from taking your next steps? Where in your life is the fear stopping you from taking that step of courage as Joseph did? Let me pray for us. Dear God, I am, even just talking about it again, I am so appreciative of this story. Of the story of how you orchestrated Jesus coming to this earth. And I am struck by the courage that so many of these people had. This courage to take on their role in the story. And this courage to do things that were scary and were difficult and were hard. And maybe even life-threatening. And so God, I ask that you in this moment would speak to us. God, what are you calling us to be about? What are you calling us to that is scary? Where do we need your courage? Where do we need that hope in you? and that courage in this moment in time. God, would you speak to us, and would you give us that courage, because we have faith in you, to take big steps of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.